Welcome to Connecting the Dollars, a personal finance podcast. I'm Emily Augusto, a CPA and financial advisor. And I'm Amanda Vaught, attorney and financial advisor. Both Emily and I are co-owners at Propel Financial Advisors. Propel Financial Advisors is an investment management and financial planning company. We are fee-only fiduciaries and independent registered investment advisors. I'm based in Chicago and Amanda is in New York City, but we work with clients nationwide. The purpose of our podcast is to explore personal finance topics, including budgeting, investing, behavioral finance, current events, and other helpful information. We also hope you'll get to know us along the way. Thanks for listening. Hi everyone, this is Emily here introducing today's episode, which is a conversation between Amanda and David Vaught. David is a financial advisor at Propel along with Amanda and I. He is a CFA and has worked with investment clients for well over 20 years. He was on our very first episode of Connecting the Dollars last fall, which discussed the state of the economy and the Federal Reserve back then, which was October 2021. And he's back today to continue that conversation, focusing specifically on the rising inflation rates, the Fed's response, and how all of this affects our investment portfolios. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Okay, so today we is Amanda Vaught. I'm here with David Vaught, another advisor at Propel Financial Advisors, and he's joining us today as we discuss inflation. Um, Inflation has been in the news a lot, um, and it has been hitting record highs. I have uh, in the news here a 40-year record of 8.6% in March, um, which can really hurt. So we just wanted to talk about what we're thinking in terms of inflation, how we're thinking about it in terms of client portfolios and um, financial planning also. So welcome, David. Well, it's good to be here, Amanda. Yeah, um, I think we had you on last fall talking about the Fed. Um, and the Fed comes up when a lot when we're thinking about inflation and what the Fed's going to do to target inflation going forward. Yeah, it's part of the Fed's dual mandate, you know, to use its tools, money supply being a big one of them, uh, to keep stability in the value of the dollar and in inflation that uh, consumers face. Uh, The other part of the mandate, of course, is uh, to try to achieve uh, a good employment situation so people can be at work. So right now the Fed has made great progress on on the employment front with uh, uh, unemployment being below uh, three point, I think it's three point eight in the last report. Huge uh, job gains for the last year, uh, but inflation seemingly is a little bit out of control. And a lot of people think the Fed is a little bit behind the curve, a little bit late to the to the to the party in terms of taking action to curb inflation. Yeah, so um, we'll see how that pans out as we go through this year and into twenty twenty three. I know a lot of the inflation spikes have come from issues related to COVID and um, supply chain and, and the Fed, you know, they can't do that much about the supply chain. They can't print oil, you know, they printed a lot of money, but, um, you know. I well, think- many would say that printing of a lot of money is also one of the factors in creating inflation. Certainly, I remember that inflation back in 1940 years ago it was 1980 or so. And I remember that inflation. It was very bad. It was very persistent. And that's what a lot of the fear is today, that this one might be as uh, persistent. But it was driven by different factors, one of which was 
you know, the buildup of, you know, money supply and, and fiscal imbalances that grew out of the Vietnam War, and also the oil shocks of the 70s, where, you know, oil price went through the roof, uh, largely due to the creation of OPEC and the oil embargo. OPEC embargoed oil. It wasn't allowed to be shipped, and, and the gas lines backed up, gas prices uh, went way up. This one is very different, driven by some of those factors you just mentioned, COVID, and increasingly also by the geopolitical situation in that Europe is uh, not just talking about reducing its uh, purchases of oil from Russia. They've already done so on natural gas, and they're looking for ways to do it uh, so that they don't have to import oil from Russia. That's going to cause a huge shift in the oil markets. Uh, it's going to be expensive. The prices are likely going to go up. And today, when we look at the what's really going on in inflation, it's subcomponents of inflation today, they're largely in food and energy. Uh, I, I think everybody knows about the energy part. You just have to go to the gas pump to see it. Uh, and that doesn't look long-term like it's going to go away. The food is also a little bit tied to the geopolitical situation since the Ukrainians are unable to export or maybe even to grow wheat, as much wheat as they've grown. And they're a major uh, factor in the wheat market internationally. Yeah, and that's what um, recent numbers have shown that as recently it's the food and energy prices that are really driving inflation. Um, I saw that, you know, what used to be used cars and trucks, they actually fell in March by 4%. So we are seeing some relief on some aspects, but in others, it's getting worse. Um, you know, which what they say is that inflation is personal. So your experience of it is going to be much different than somebody else's. You know, over the past year, if you weren't buying a used car or truck, you maybe didn't experience such high inflation. But more and more people need to go to the grocery store and put gas in their car. So, um, yeah. I think those declines in those declines in some of the components are part of what may have caused the Fed to, to be a little bit behind the eight ball because they were saying they expected a few months ago they were expecting the inflation to be transitory so that these temporary factors that are caused by the supply chain or the prices of used cars and lumber and other things were going to come back down naturally as those those ease well the supply chain easing has not been uh, total you know, although some prices have come down. And the, the real concern now is that, that the inflation is going to become part of an inflation psychology. Everybody's going to expect it. People are going to want more raises because of inflation. Companies are going to take this opportunity to raise prices a little more because of inflation, because they have more pricing power, because everybody knows inflation is going up. So, uh, so those are factors. David and I were just talking and we got interrupted by David's maid service. So we're going to jump back in now, keep talking about inflation. And we want to discuss some, what we could do as far as our personal finances go. Um, right now, if you have a lot of cash on hand and it's in the bank, you're not making hardly any interest. Um, high yield savings accounts are paying maybe half a percent. So what do you do with all this cash? that you have maybe emergency savings, or maybe you haven't budgeted well and you have excess cash built up and um, you're in a high inflation environment. Well, you have, you have two approaches to debt. You could, if, if your debt is a, at, a, at a high interest rate, you probably need to pay it down. That's probably always true. 
but it's also true in inflationary times because interest rates are going to go up more. Um, if on the other hand, you've got it in, you know, low rate mortgages, inflation essentially allows you to pay off a long-term mortgage with inflated dollars. So that hurts the, the, uh, the bank, not you. So, so there's less and less of a reason to prepay any long-term mortgage uh, because of the debt. But then what do you do with the cash? Well, we think you invest it. And the best uh, inflation protections traditionally have been stocks in companies that have pricing power. So companies that are, are you know, able to raise prices uh, during inflationary times are going to do well. Uh, some of them are going to do better because they may push that a little too much and increase their profits more than a lot of people think is fair. As people's money gets tight, however, and as time continues in the inflationary cycle, people start to have less cash, they have less money, they're being squeezed by higher cost, and that can, in the long term, hurt those same companies. Uh, so you need good, solid companies that are going to be able to survive a recession and, uh, and continue to make money in the stock market. The higher interest rates make the fast growers that have done well in the last few years uh, a little less attractive because when their future earnings and in fast growth companies uh, are priced in the market based on their future earnings and their potential to grow into the future, that has to be discounted on, uh, on a higher interest rate. So their valuations uh, tend to come down. So it's going to involve more selectivity in the stock market than when the whole market's just going up willy nilly like it's been doing. The other alternative is by the, the fast growth, the growth companies, you're talking a lot about the tech sector, right? Companies that are expecting to make a lot more money in the future than they are today. That's correct. And that doesn't mean those companies are not good investments long term, because these, uh, these, the volatility in the economic cycle often accelerates uh, the disruptive effects of change. And many of those fast growing companies are positioning themselves to be involved in new and growing sectors of the economy. And when that change happens faster, they're helped. So the factors get, they multiply a little bit when there's economic stress and they become more important. So you can't totally ignore those, uh, those other kind of companies and in investing in the stock market, but you have to have a longer time horizon. You have to be willing to hold on uh, through periods of inflation and and perhaps if the Fed becomes aggressive in raising interest rates and tips the economy into recession, you may have to wait through a recession with those investments. So you have to be careful. The safer, shorter term investment is bonds, of course. The interest rates are rising in the bond market. So we've had a bond market where it wasn't paying you much to buy a bond. Who wants to invest in a bond for 1% or less interest? But as interest rates go up, you know, and the, uh, the 10 year is approaching 3% now, although that may be a little overblown in the short term, those rates are generally going to go up in an inflationary period in a more normal uh, economic environment as well. And um, so they're going to get more attractive. But the ones that are going to protect you from inflation are the Treasury Inflation Protected Securities. And they're sensitive for a couple other reasons, too. They often have some duration in them. So as interest rates go up, uh, that can be have an effective and a negative effect on inflation-protected bond prices as well. And uh, they also tend to move in the market based on inflation expectations. So when the expectations of uh, inflation shift, uh, they're priced differently. 
But generally, those are, are good, two good alternatives besides just letting inflation eat away the value of your cash in, in safer, shorter bank accounts. Right. And if if then inflation is going up and the Fed is responding by increasing rates and in, in an effort to cut the inflation, those increasing rates are going to impact the bond prices, right, by sending them lower. That's and right. so in general, you want to move the duration of your bond portfolio shorter because the longer out your bonds mature, the bigger of a price hit they're going to take. Right? Now, the exception to that, Amanda, would, would be when you specifically know that you need money in, say, three years or five oh, years right. or Great some point. specific amount of time, because then you can buy, you can use a buy and hold strategy to buy individual bonds or uh, ETFs that mature at that same time that you're, you're seeking. You can buy ETFs with that have a fixed uh, maturity set into their uh, the way they structure their portfolios, you can use those. And then you're not worried about what happens to the, the price of the bond uh, in the meantime, because you're going to get your maturity value on your date of maturity. So there are other ways to approach that. And then you also have to weigh that concern about in interest rate risk or duration risk that you're mentioning against the fact that if the yield curve stays steep so that longer term rates are higher than short term rates, the place to get those uh, higher rates is in the longer maturity bonds. Uh, so you've got a, a risk reward uh, equation there you've got to calculate as well. Mm -hmm. And then do you want to just circle back to the equity markets for a little bit? I mean, earlier we mentioned price, uh, we mentioned long-term growth type of stocks as, a, as an area that could be hit by rising interest rates. And you mentioned companies with pricing power as ones who would be successful, likely in a high inflation environment. Can you think of any other examples of where you do want to go in the stock market when you're getting high inflation? Do you want to go to gold um, or other alternatives like that? Gold is a, is a traditional protection, uh, a, a, you know, a classic flight to safety type protection. It's considered safer than some investment assets that are volatile. The problem with gold today is it's already run up in price a lot. It's, uh, it's anticipated some of these inflationary pressures and has been very strong. So, uh, you know, people have a tendency to buy gold after it's gone up instead of before it goes up. So there's always a little bit of a timing question with gold. We generally say if people really want to have gold because they feel insecure in the markets, it should be a small allocation in their portfolios. We'd rather that people look for things like, you know, real estate, commercial real estate that's going to it's going to invest in properties that are going to stay in business, that are uh, leasing pro properties to solid companies that uh, are going to going to last through the recession. Those cash flows of rent uh, can also be a protection from inflation because the owners are going to raise the rent during inflationary times. And so you're buying into a, uh, to an asset that can benefit from inflation. If the Fed tips us into recession, then that gets riskier because some of those uh, companies may cut back on their lease space and, in fact, may cut back on their employees, and then the rent is not quite as secure. Uh, so that's the complicated nature of how you adjust to a changing market environment and a changing macroeconomic environment. There are a lot of risk in there that are hard to anticipate. So that means that diversification becomes your ally, and you want to be in different sectors of the market. 
that you think are solid, that have pricing power, that can survive a recession and can still uh, be okay uh, in your investment portfolio long term. All that probably means you better expect a little less uh, uh, return out of the stock market than you've seen in the last 10 years as well. Um, a lot of people think if you get 5% going forward, you're going to do pretty good in the stock market. Um, and assuming inflation gets down below 5%, then you're going to do pretty well. If inflation runs way out of control and you're getting low returns in the stock market, then it gets a lot harder. Yeah. And I think not everyone, but the vast majority of people in this country probably aren't saving enough money. Um, and when well, that that's kind true. Of thing starts to happen, you can get double hurt if you don't increase the and the other thing that, that will saving. happen is that governments at all levels, if we have inflation or if we have a recession following the Fed's effort to fight inflation, governments will get squeezed. So the government safety nets will be under pressure. They'll still work. There'll still be unemployment compensation. There'll still be other kinds of welfare. There'll still be efforts to invest in infrastructure that will create jobs for people if jobs become a little scarce. But uh if those governments get stressed as well, you, you can't count on somebody else to provide your safety net. You got to be more self-sufficient, which means you should be raising your savings rates. We kind of preach that all the time, but it, it, it's usually true and it's usually true for different reasons. And so those reasons continue to apply in periods of inflation or recession. Yeah. Okay, well, I think we hit all the high points. Um, is there anything else we wanted? To, I want to mention uh, James Bullard. It's interesting to watch. He's the Fed president from St. Louis, so I kind of have a little Midwestern I think bias. He's known I, as the as one of the more hawkish members. He, of right Fed. now, he's a very hawkish member. He's been urging the Fed to raise rates even faster. Uh, he's been around a while. He's, this is not the first Fed he's been a part of, uh, because he, you know the Fed presidents can serve fairly long terms. If they're, they're, they're hired by the private sector, not appointed by the president or anybody in the political world, they're appointed by the member banks through their board of directors of the uh, of regional Federal Reserve. St. Louis is not a dominant large Federal Reserve bank like New York or some of the ones out, out west or even Dallas. But uh, he's uh, had a good reputation for being a, a forward-looking thinker and uh, somebody that the Fed chairman and others listen to. And so... I think his signals that he's been calling, especially since, uh, you know, as the year began, is that the Fed better get with it. They're behind the eight ball. They need to catch up. Let's raise rates. And now with this more recent statement from, by the Fed chair that they're looking for a 50 basis point increase, James Bullard would say multiple 50 basis point increases. And so he thinks that you have to, you have to take your best shot at inflation early, quickly, and, and deal with it before it turns into, into more persistent inflation because it gets so bad that you're going to have to raise rates so much you cause a recession. Uh, so he's an interesting person to watch if you see people quoted or if you just think about why is the Fed changing its signals a little bit. It's because of some of those interactions between the appointed Fed governors appointed by the president and the Fed presidents that are chosen from the private sector. So the Fed is a quasi government quasi-private uh, sector institution, and both those parts have influence on its policy. Okay. You know, I like to talk okay. about the Fed, Amanda, so I had to throw that in about the Fed there, I know. But it relates yeah. to inflation because they're the main inflation fighter, and uh, they've generally done a pretty good job, but sometimes they come to the party too late. That's what James Bullard's worried about. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I heard um, I was listening to another economist today saying that she thought there was going to be a 50 basis point hike in May, which, like you just said, the Fed confirmed today. That's we're recording this April 21st, that they were going to do a 50 point hike basis point hike in May and then another 50 basis point hike in June right after. Um, So it does seem like people are thinking that they are really going to try to stomp it out quickly. The Fed has had a tendency just to do 25 basis point changes gradually and sequentially. And so when it starts taking those bigger bites, uh, there's a little concern going on there. Yeah, yeah. So I do just want to reiterate, you know, we're speaking in general terms today about approaches you can take in your portfolio. But if you do are concerned about your individual portfolio and want more individual advice, we love to help people with that kind of thing. So let us know if you have any other questions. Um, Our email and how to contact us is all in the show notes. So thank you, David, for being our special guest today. It was fun, Amanda. It's good talking to you. And uh, I hope people uh, gain a little something out of the podcast that you and Emily are doing. I think they're going well. Okay. Thank you. For all links and resources mentioned today, head over to connectingthedollars.com. Thank you for listening. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. This podcast does not engage in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.